0: With that being said, what the name of this new teaching series is, is just simply called Gospel as Center in Matters of Race, Justice, and Humanity. So it does have like a nice little subtitle underneath it. And so as we jump into this, before we even get into this, I I just want to just state as a church community, our vision or who we are as a church family. We basically build our entire church around three major aims. Number one has to do with longing for God's presence. So we gather. There's a reason why we do this. We come together because we long for God's presence. We desire. Jesus is our greatest treasure, what God is up to in this world. In other words, if we just simply gather and it's devoid of acknowledging or recognizing or embracing or seeking God's presence, then we're just a gathering. There's no distinction between what we're doing in any other type of gathering. So we, number one, we savor, we love God's presence. Number two, we look for transformation to be like Jesus. That's what we're ultimately seeking to do. So as we process the scripture, as we submit our hearts and our lives to God, God's making us, remaking us into people that begin to look like Jesus. Thirdly, uh, is our devotion to God's mission. By way of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, in other words, uh, our aim is not to just simply end here, it's to begin as we leave here. So, if the, it makes sense. So, the moment we are done here, as we go back into this world, there's a mission field that God invites us to make his name known, to love our neighbor. To serve others, to care for those that are in the margins, those that are hurting, those that are forgotten, those that oftentimes we don't necessarily think about. We have a mission. There's a purpose that God has for our church as well as the church uppercase C in general and the entire world, that God has a unique purpose for our church, but also for you to be a part of what God's up to in this world. And that's what we just simply describe as mission. So that being said, I want to talk a little bit about the new series that we're going to be jumping into today, which will last between four to six weeks or so roughly, depending upon how long we have. And again, Sunday mornings, the way that we've been uh, conducting and setting up Sunday mornings, uh, it's not as lengthy as it was before, because we can only endure so much out here as well as our online community so we're having to kind of scale things back a little bit to an hour before we kind of go like an hour and a half it's a little bit shorter which obviously puts limitations on what can and cannot be shared but i'll explain a little bit more just a moment as to how we're hoping to compensate for that. so the question kind of can be asked why even do a series like this why even go into something like this the simple answer is this And I'll kind of give some tears to this. So a lot of this morning is going to be just sort of an introduction into this, and then we'll get into the teaching in just a moment. But the fact of the matter is, is that I have perceived, along with our elders and our teams, just by way of not only social media, but conversations which we had, which, by the way, I took three months off of social media, It was unbelievable. I call it my social media detox. And I would recommend every one of you doing that at some point in your life. Get a detox from social media. It's actually not necessarily good for your health to constantly be feeding off of that drip line. It's not that good. So take a break. Anyways, the point that I'd make is this, is that um, we have these degrees of anxieties that every one of us are feeling. On one hand, there are these anxieties on the that we are imbibing and bringing in by which there's a sense of the, the pain of injustice that's happening in our world. It creates anxiety for other people, for the fact of those that are maybe not feeling as if they are being heard or listened to. Therefore, it's causing and creating a, a, a perceived need to ratchet up the voice, the violence, the angst, the anxiety. Again, it just creates feeling back loop of anxiety the other hand the other extreme you have those that are seeing that and uh skeptical and critical and upset and frustrated and that's creating anxiety uh by way of even feeling pressure of like being forced to say something or not saying enough of something and at the end of the day there is this reality of anxiety that we i think collectively as well as individually are feeling and by the way jesus cares about those anxieties He cares about people that carry those anxieties. If that's you, he cares about you is what I'm trying to say. And God wants us to pause and think and reflect upon who he is and how he wants to be Lord and king over even those anxieties that we feel. So on the one hand, what I hope to try to do is to address those that can oftentimes uncritically adopt maybe the language and vocabulary of our culture, which in my opinion I think tend to be riddled with distortions. We'll look at some of those uh, ways in which that happens throughout this series. For example, words like justice, things like power, things like um, racial inequalities and things of that nature that some of these things are biblical terminology that oftentimes get hijacked and rebranded and reshaped and remade and so on the one hand i want to address and speak into those that might uncritically absorb language and vocabulary of the culture and ultimately it can create a segment of people that are more social justice warrior than disciple of jesus And, and again that's all i'm going to say about that at this particular moment but on the flip side of that and the flip side of that, there are those that can be dismissive to the cries and the hurts and the pains and the inequalities and the injustices of those that many that feel that. And that creates a coldness that doesn't even want to talk about those things. This dismissiveness, which equally is not the heart of Jesus. So at some point, that's who we are. If we are part of God's kingdom... God's purposes, God's church, we have to carefully think about these things in a critical fashion, in a biblical fashion, and that's what my hope is. So, that being said, uh, three quick things which we'll look at as to why I think this is important. Number one, because following Jesus requires that we attend to what others are suffering through. Number one, following Jesus requires... In other words, if we claim to follow Jesus and yet we take this cold heart indifference towards those that are in pain, you are not, I don't care what you say, how many scriptures you pronounce, how many ways or way you know ways in which you articulate the Bible, you are not displaying the heart of God. Jesus cares for those who weep. Therefore, we must weep for those who weep. It's Jesus taught. So on the one hand, I think it's important for us to pay attention. In order for us to learn and that requires a posture of learning, it requires a posture of humility that says I wanna I wanna hear, I wanna sometimes have those tough conversations. Look that's one of the things, if anything, I've learned, I've had to learn in some tough manners over the past many years. In order for me, like this is my, my job as a pastor, in order for me to be a, a good pastor, and I'm an Enneagram 8, so I'm I'm a bull in a china shop if you know anything about that. I'm the type of guy that can just have this cold indifference towards anybody that's not in my frame of reference. But Jesus wants to shape me to be a compassionate shepherd. And that just goes against every fiber of my being but i want that because that's who jesus is so that requires a posture in me sometimes to have to learn and even read books and listen to sermons and messages and other voices that just just every bit of me bristles against that but part of my discipleship to jesus is to be put in those places that may be challenging for me and to learn from other people's pain. We have a word for that. We just call it compassion. Jesus, uh, compassion, literally. I, I love the, the word. It just simply means with suffering. In other words, if you are consistently claiming to be in the lives of other people and you never feel their suffering, you should call in the question whether or not you even know what compassion is. What it means to be truly in a relationship with other people is to feel their pain sometimes. And You know that if you're married, if you had a boyfriend, a girlfriend, uh, or been in a relationship, or you have a child, like you, you know it. Or somebody that is close to you, maybe a mom or a dad, or someone that has kind of gone off the deep end, and you kind of had to fill in, being the mom or dad for them. You know what it's like to have to take, listen to their pain, their grief, their hardship, and make tough decisions. That oftentimes make them your enemy. They get upset with you, but that's part of that suffering. It's just like Jesus. He suffers long. God suffers long with us. And part of our discipleship involves this really tough process of sometimes having to listen to other people's pain. So number one, following Jesus requires us to attend to what others are suffering. Number two, uh, items like race, ethnicity, which uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word race, but really what I mean is an ethnicity. The fact of the matter is, and this is just a side point which we'll probably get into at some point. In the weeks to come, there's one race, one race. Multiple ethnicities. One race, multiple ethnicities. Meaning, God cares about ethnicities. God is not colorblind. Sometimes Christians have these cute little cliche things like, God is colorblind. He is not colorblind. He is an artist who created things with the most incredible amounts of beauty and goodness. So God is not colorblind. He cares about all ethnicities. One race, the human race, and multiple ethnicities that bear his image. Which we'll talk about in just a moment here. That race... Uh, Justice, humanity, these are not just topics to God. Listen to that again. Race, justice, and humanity are not just topics to God. These are realities that are ultimately central to his purposes in this world. And that even though there are many discrepancies and distortions to these items within our world today, if we're followers of Jesus we would do our best to try to learn how to understand how God understands these things so that we can really rightly represent God as best as we can in this world. And that requires some time. It requires some patience. It requires attentiveness. So thirdly, uh, I want to take a look at the fact of the matter is that oftentimes the areas that we need, need most growth in are the areas that we are not the most obvious to us. Hello, can I get anybody to acknowledge me on leg day? leg day. You're like, like, "I never work on my legs." Exactly. Have you ever seen them? That was a joke. Anyways, the point that I'd make is this is that we oftentimes do not pay attention to the things that we need to most pay attention to because they're not obvious to us. Maybe to other people they're obvious. So in other words, if you are constantly finding yourself on the defensive like, "I don't need to think about this. I don't need to critically consider this. This is not something I even want to go into." Maybe actually the harbinger to the fact that you need to take some time to just think about these things carefully, critically, biblically. So that's what I want to invite you into over the next few weeks. So how will we do this? So again, like I said, we'll do this kind of all setting things up. We'll get into the scripture in just a moment. Um, how will we do this? We'll do this through basically four ways. Number one, teaching, which is what I'm doing right now. Number two, a posture of humility. So I want to invite you to have a posture of humility. Learning, growing, saying, maybe there's some things I don't know. Maybe there's some things I could learn. And trust me, I'm not saying I'm an expert on this. I have spent many, 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 many hours learning and growing and just reading and trying to absorb as much as I can this past summer over my sabbatical. It's like I was drinking from a fire hose of some so many broad range of not just books, but podcasts constantly nonstop. I would even say maybe hundreds of hours of which that does not make me in any way, shape or form an expert on this, but I feel like I've learned a few things and I've had multiple hundreds of hours of conversations with people. And so what I want to try to do is like share some of the things that I've I've learned, but more importantly, it's really about the posture that just says, I want to learn. I want to grow. So I want to invite you into a posture that hopefully ultimately will help us to learn and grow. This is not about guilting or shaming. Our culture is all about that. That's not what's going to happen here. We're all, all at various stages of our learning and growth. I think it's one of the reasons that's been a source of anxiety for a lot of people. It's like, if I don't post something on Facebook, I'm guilted and shamed into being a horrible human being. That will not happen here. We're at all various stages. But at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. What Jesus wants to teach us and show us so that we can grow. There's room for us to repent and grow and learn and be shaped as disciples of Jesus. So, number one, teaching. Number two, of humility. Number three, a time for confession. And ultimately, just recognizing who God is and what God wants to do in our lives. And that comes through confession of sin. And then, uh, fourthly, through clarification. Now, here, I want to talk a little bit about how we will provide space for clarification. I realize that our times here on a Sunday morning are going to be limited, which means I'm not going to be able to talk and communicate as extensively as I would like on some of these subject matters. So, for some of you who may be done some time thinking about, prayerfully reading about some of these things, maybe you're a little bit more educated than other people, you're going to hear me maybe not say certain things that you wish you heard me say. And it's just simply because not trying to omit things necessarily purposefully, but I have limited time and space of which to do it. Okay, so I, I, I'm asking for grace from you who might be a little bit more advanced in following along and thinking about some of these things in a more critical biblical manner. So I'm just asking for grace. So the way that I want to allow for space to dig deeper in this is immediately following our time together here. You're more than welcome. I'm going to create space every single week where you can come up to me afterwards and ask, you know, the next 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long. Just ask any question you want. So my message raises any question for you whatsoever. You have any question whatsoever going on in your mind about either the topic matter that's at hand or something else that kind of sprung into your mind from the week before or next week, whatever. Um, you are more than welcome to just come right up to me afterwards. If you want more time and space, that's one of the reasons why my wife and I are actually creating space on Thursday nights is we realize it's so important for us to process and dig deep. The timing, the time and the gathering that we're going to be having on Thursday nights, uh, if you are interested in that, uh, you need to go up online, just go to com. sign up on there. Uh, space will be limited, and however many people will be showing up will help us determine exactly where we're going to be there. So please make sure you go to com. sign up as soon as you can. Uh, but that will create space for us to do basically four things. Number one, process. For, first of all, to pause. Pause and reflect upon God's goodness. Secondly, to process even further the teachings of Jesus. Thirdly, to pray for God's kingdom to come fourthly, to practice radical love towards all. So if you're looking for a community of people, maybe you're not involved in one right now. You are just kind of been in a place where you've been in isolation. And it's time for you to kind of come out of that isolation and join and be part of a family that knows you. And you are able to wanting to begin to grow and delve deeper. Uh, my wife and I would warmly love to invite you to come to be a part of that. But you got to sign up. So, so that will be part of the processing of this whole series. So the idea is to create as much space for you who have questions to dig deeper. So what I want to do before we jump in is I want to basically make four requests of you, four requests of you, all right? So before we even jump into this, because I realize for some, again, I think there's a number of different ways in which people have approached this. Because ever since the beginning of the summer when George Floyd's uh, horrific death was posted all throughout social media, and this became a, not only a national but a worldwide type of a response. And the anxiety that has uh, since ensued, uh, those uh, radically for racial types of uh, reforms and transformations, and others uh, by way of concern that things are not going the way it could be or should be, uh, again, the collective response of anxiety. We as a church do not want to turn from these things. We have to address them in a biblical manner as as of Jesus. So yes, we're going there. We're talking about this stuff. We're going to look into it. So I realize for some of you, you're like, this is awesome. I'm so stoked. Others of you are like, great. We have to do this. And here's what I want to suggest to you. Here's my four things. Number one is give me four to six weeks of your time to teach and share. Just give, give that to me. Um, if anything, I hope that I have some degree of collateral, <laughs> currency with you. Trust that I've earned it. I've been here for 27 years, hopefully as a pastor in this community that has sought to faithfully model and represent Jesus Christ through my character, through my life, through every other form and means that somehow maybe that would create some degree of currency that would allow you to say, I'll give him four to six weeks. I'll give him four to six weeks. Just listen. So next is to show up, to be present, to pay attention, to listen, to have a humble heart. To come. And maybe this is a, this might be a challenge for some. Because it's 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 like our initial response is to bristle against certain things that are a little bit foreign or don't fit well in our theological constructs. My invitation for you is to just ask Jesus in this season to give you a new heart. That's one of a posture of humility. So show up, listen, pay attention, pray, humble eyes, ears, and heart. Thirdly, if you have questions you need to process, like I said already, come to me. I'm 100% available. I will not respond to emails. Don't email me. It takes too much time. Come to my my thing on Thursday night. You can talk to me face-to-face. Give me your phone number. I'll talk to you on the phone. Uh, There you go. Enough said, right? Don't direct message me. It will take too much time. But I am available to have coffee. We can talk face-to-face, mask on, whatever. You can come and be part of our thing up there tonight. You can talk to me immediately afterwards. I am 100% available to process further with you. Fourthly, if after six weeks what I teach does not lead you to the glory of Jesus, revealed through the good news of the gospel, then feel free to cancel away. Feel free to cancel away. It's all good. But my hope would be that Jesus would so profoundly rock our world That we'd be so blown away by the beauty and the glory of Jesus that our lives would want to do anything we can to follow him. Not in a partisan manner, not in a way that's nationalistic, not in a way that is focused on one particular uh, segment or ism, but focused wholeheartedly on Jesus. I said this last week, I'll say it again because I think it's worth bearing and repeating. For those of you that are deeply committed in your loyalties to Jesus as king, as lord over everything. I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think anything we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks is going to be radically problematic to you. If your loyalties, however, in a subtle way, maybe not even apparent to you right now, if your loyalties might be more to a political party or a nationalism or an, any form of ism, then some of these things are going to be troubling to you. I'll, I'll just be straight up front and just say it. Some of these things may be troubling. But the issue is not going to be necessarily with the messenger. So if you shoot me, I'm just telling you, it's the message. <laughs> Let the message, that, that's my convenient way of just like letting fire at the Bible, right? I'm just kidding. Shoot the messenger, it's fine. You get the point of the matter. Is My hope would be that our hearts would be so radically captivated by the love and the beauty of Jesus that we would want to be fully in with all that he's doing in this world. So with that being said, I'm done with regard to intro to this, and I want to jump right into the teaching this morning. So why don't you all open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. I'm going to read the passages, and uh, and then we will jump in and begin to take a look at it. Before we do, let me just pray one more time before we begin to look at God's word. So Jesus, right now, we just pause and we reflect upon your death upon the cross for us which is the very thing that Paul points to and says, now we know the love of God. It's, it's that event that we can point to and look at and see that God's love was revealed. God, let that reality transform our realities, our lives, our understanding. We want to truly be followers, disciples, of you, Jesus, in every way. So, God, that causes us to call to question our loyalties, our strong desires versus our deepest desires, and to lay them all at the altar and ask you, Jesus, to have your way this morning. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1, verses 26 through 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him male and female, he created them. Uh, Four quick things I just want to highlight that I think uh, kind of break down what we just read. Number one, we see that humans are the final and greatest of all creation. The verse starts off in verse 26. It says, then God said. It's as if every other passage, if you look at the beginning of Genesis chapter 1, all the way, verse 1, all the way down to what we just looked at from verse 1 to 25, you'll see it'll say God created and God created. And then it says, then God created. In other words, it's as if everything in creation was building up tier after tier after here, up into this one climactic moment where as if God says now my cheapest of all creation as if God was preparing everything in all of the tangible world which we see as well as intangible that has been put into place so that God's cheapest of creation human beings would be able to be put within that creation he made secondly we see that humans alone are described as bearing the image of God. We don't see that image or that phrase uh, apply to the animals. It's uniquely for human beings, the image of God. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Thirdly, humans alone are given dominion over all the earth. Whales are pretty big. They've got a pretty big space that they occupy, but whales are not described as having dominion over territory. Your dog might think it has dominion over your territory called your house or your bed or a corner of the house. But the fact of the matter is human beings alone are the ones that are given the place as described as having dominion over all things. So thirdly, humans are explicitly stated as being created male and female, male and female. These gender distinctions are part of God's creation. To distort that, to say is to distort what God created. It's to mess with a piece of art that God said, this has my fingerprints all over it. Now, what that means, I think, is we begin to look at this, to bear the image of God ultimately. So I asked the question on my social media this past week, um, what do you think the image of God is? Um, many of you gave some great responses. Thank you. If you were part of that, awesome. You're awesome. Thank you. Um, one that I read is just very, very simple, and I actually really like it. It just simply said, to bear the image of God is to be human. It's very simple, and I like it. But here's the question. Who gets to determine or decide what being human is, right? That's that's the question. Now, in our modern-day, postmodern world, which we live in, uh, we basically say, I get to decide that. It's about self-discovery. Isn't that what, like, every great Disney movie is all about? It's like, I get to determine my fate, my future, my destiny. It's all about me making that decision for myself in the place of other people. And what I suggest to you, That is not how the Bible describes it. It says that God says and chooses what humanity is to look like. And we should thank him for that. Because if simply the answer is placed solely, squarely, completely in my own subjective opinions, it will disrupt your opinion. And you have conflict. And depending upon how escalated that conflict gets, you get war and violence and destruction. In other words, you get the six o'clock news but God says, I'll tell you what humanity is. It's to reflect me. It's to look like me. So as we jump into this, I want to think about what is this human experience that God says, I will show you what being human, truly human, is to look like. Simplest way you can just think of the idea of an image is a representation. And I'm gonna look at this in two ways and then we'll kind of wrap this up with some final thoughts. Number one, it involves the representation of God, the representation, representing of god so when you look at that image you are seeing a representation of it and so imagine like if uh, if i were to have a, an image of my wife and show it to you and you're like oh cool and you're taking you tear in pieces like you didn't like kill my wife she's still alive she still has a pulse she's but what you've done is you've offended me because that is an image of my wife that represents my wife And by distorting that image is a way of distorting. It's a way of dishonoring, disrespecting the one whom I love. Like, that's not cool. And this is exactly, I think, what is being described here. That there is a representation of God that we see portrayed in rulership and then reproduction. Bear children in your image that will ultimately image God all the way at the top of the food chain. But also rulership, which we will get into uh, as we look over the next few weeks at the subject of, of power and how important power is. Power, believe it or not, plays into the entire narrative that's happening in our world right now. Power structures are being challenged and brought down, which is not necessarily a bad thing. So we saw in the Harvey Weinstein uh, type of circumstances and challenges and, and all, all sorts of movements and marches that even predated the ones that have been happening throughout our country over the past several months that power structures are being challenged. But the point of the matter is, is God himself is the one who put power into the hands of human beings. But again, like I said, when you distort what human beings are and what their objective is, now you have distorted power structures. In other words, you have the world we live in. So this stuff is so radically relevant to the time and day in which we live in right now. So with that being said, I want to jump on to the very next one. We'll wrap it up with some final thoughts. We see that also, secondly, not only is it representation of God, but it's also the reflection of God. This is what we mean by the idea of image of God. Now, as you rightly understand this doctrine, this teaching of the image of God, I think it does at least two things. Number one, it will inform your view of self. And I would argue that we live in a world in which the subject of self-image is radically, radically jeopardized. And that's what social media is all about. It's like, what is your self-image? It's one of the reasons why you post a photo of yourself and you cautiously, carefully, frantically, maybe, and full of anxiety wait for people to respond with likes or comments or whatever. Because you want a response to this image that you posted of yourself. Why do we do that? Because really what we're looking for is an identity that's elusive to us. It taps into this bigger existential question about who are we? Who am I? Do I have meaning? Is there worth? Is there significance? Is there any weightiness? Do I even matter in this universe? To the degree that you understand the doctrine of the imago Dei or the image of God, that will radically inform your understanding as who you are. Because according to this doctrine, you radically matter. Not because you've got... A number of followers on social media, not because you've got a number of likes on a particular photo on your followers, through your followers on social media. Not because the job, the career, the car, the phone you have, doesn't none of that stuff matters. You have significance and value because you bear the image of the one who holds all things together. Secondly, this also informs our view of others. What we would describe as our neighbor And this begins to touch into the bigger, broader issue. Why is there such preferentialism and criticism and anger and bitterness and disdain towards others? Because people aren't loving their neighbor. Why are they not loving their neighbor? Because they don't understand who they are. Why don't they understand who they are? Because we live in a world that told me... My future and destiny is determined based upon how I see it and how I define it. And that, my friends, is a dead end. Or you can trust the one who loves you and gave himself for you, but also has given you value and meaning because you bear his image. So, with that being said, I want to jump into just some final thoughts and we'll wrap it up. Genesis chapter 9, verses 5 through 6, another way in which this particular phrase, image of God, actually appears. You can write down if you'd like, or just listen to me read it. He says this, from his fellow man, God says, I will require a reckoning for his life. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall have his blood shed. And then God goes on to say, for man, for God made man in his own image. So did you catch what God said? He says, look, if anybody kills another human being, if anybody Disdains of the human being. God says, I will require a response, a righteous response from that person, because that person they disdain, that person they kill, that person they shed their blood, bears my image. You realize the implications for this. This means that you and I have responsibility for the person sitting right next to us. You might not like that person. <laughs> That might be your roommate. It might even be your spouse. For God's sake, sign up for the marriage thing. All right? If that's you, if that's your spouse, you're like, I cannot stand them. Please sign up for the marriage thing. The point of the matter is, is this. You have a responsibility because they bear God's image. This is how this gets played out in the New Testament. First John chapter 4, verse 20 says this. It's probably a phrase that's familiar to many of you. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar, for he does not know uh, for he who does not love his brother, whom he can see, and claims to love God, who cannot see, he says he's a, he's a liar. There's there's a discrepancy. I, I think actually John was probably writing this and thinking about Isaiah, where he talks about God speaking through the prophet, "Hey, when you bring your fast to me, I don't really care about your fast." I don't care about your sacrifices. What I care about is you loving your neighbor. I mean, think about how religious people can become. We become all concerned about the translation of the Bible we read from, or who are the biblical teachers we're listening to, or what form or framework of Christian history are we focusing on. And all of these things might have value and importance, but at the end of the day, if we are disdaining our brother... And our sister who we can see right next to us and they might cause you an incredible amount of consternation. Then God says there's some problems in your discipleship that need to be brought to the surface and thought through and prayed through and transformed from. Listen to John Calvin, the great reformer, said this, he says, although some of that image of God is found remaining in us, it is so maimed and deformed that no part is free from the infection of sin. He goes on to say, since the image of God has been destroyed in us by the fall, which is the reference in Genesis chapter 3, he goes on to say that we may judge that from its restoration that it will be restored to that which it was originally been Paul then says that we are transformed into the image of God by the gospel. And he's probably referencing 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. You can write that down as well. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, he says this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are be being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What I think Paul is tapping into, he's saying that, look, at the end of the day, what God is up to in this world, is restoring not just humanity, but humanity by rightly envisioning and understanding who God is. In other words, your right ability to understand and love your neighbor has everything to do with how you view God. Everything to do with your theology. Your discipleship will be shaped by it. If you think poorly of your neighbor... It's because there are issues in your understanding of the nature of God. And we can work on those things. That's one of the beautiful elements about coming together, no matter where we're at in our discipleship and our following of Jesus, that we all can come together before this God that doesn't, He doesn't cancel us out if we fail. He doesn't shame us or shun us if we don't say the right thing or if we say too much of the wrong thing. He does not do that. He welcomes us and invites us and forgives us and renews us and restores us, as Paul would say here, according to the image of God. And I'm going to wrap it up with this final thought. MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., in a sermon that he preached uh, called the American Dream. So there's a speech that he gave called the American Dream. This is a sermon that he gave called the American Dream. Listen to what he said. There's so many profound things. I'm just going gonna, gonna to let him take us to church and consider and think about what he says because it ties into this very notion of the image of God, and how we're to think about each other. He says this Ever since the founding fathers dreamed the dream as outlined in the Declaration of Independence, uh, he says America has been something of a schizophrenic personality. I think we would all agree with that. It's kind of odd to think that here we are, you know, multiple years later, and we're still kind of in this schizophrenic personality status. He goes on to say, you see, They're really influenced by the Bible. That is the founders of the Declaration of Independence. Not necessarily they were all Christians. He knows that. He's not foolish. He recognizes that even though they were not necessarily all Christians, they were definitely influenced by this literature, this book we call the Bible. He goes on to say, the whole concept of the imago Dei, the image of God, is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they are substantial, uh, have substantial unity with God. And this gives him, the human being, a uniqueness gives him worth, gives him dignity, and we must never forget that this nation, there are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from the treble white to the base black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. Then he finishes his sermon with actually basically a, an invitation to trust Jesus. I'll just read it because it's so good. He says, if someone needs to accept Christ, this is a marvelous opportunity, a great moment to make a decision and thus sing together. We bid you come at this time but come at this moment because a great part of the Christian movement uh, and become a part of this great Christian movement and accept Christ as your personal Savior. That's how he finishes his whole sermon is basically to say, look, we all need Jesus. And I would suggest that's where all of us are at right now. We need Jesus. And I want to finish with this final thought that to the degree that we are moved. Transformed. By the image of Jesus dying on the cross for us. Paul repeatedly would say, Jesus is the exact representation of God in the flesh. He is what Adam should have been, he is what you and I should be. So, if you really want to get a good glimpse or picture, what what does God demand? What should humanity ultimately look like? I think it's very safe to say that Jesus is the perfect human being. He loved his neighbor, he cared for those that were broken. He was a fighter for those that were wrongly and unjustly abandoned and taken advantage of. He was one that was constantly writing that which was wrong, helping those that were broken and hurting, uh, bringing light to those that were forgotten. This is who Jesus is. This is who we are invited to become like. But the point that I want to make as we finish with this final thought, to the degree that you see that Jesus did this, And his action on the cross for you. Which his life, death, crucifixion involved ultimately from the very beginning. That he was almost the victim of infanticide. Not by his mom and dad, but by Herod wanting to put to death children. That Jesus was almost the victim of that throughout his life. Jesus was homeless. He was that person that you would see downtown, or that person that you would neglect on some trail, or one of the homeless communities around, camps around San Luis Obispo, that you, we just we have a tendency to overlook and to omit. Jesus was homeless. Jesus ultimately succumbed to becoming a victim of the state in the, one of the most brutally bloody public lynchings of all time. I don't know how else you describe the cross, it's a public lynching. Jesus was crucified, he was a victim. Of state-led injustice and violence. Why? Because he came to do something about it. Because he loves us. And to the degree that we see that Jesus did this for you and for me, it will transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. Cause us to rethink how we think about all people. All ethnicities. All people that have different shades of Skin color beyond ours, more melatonin, less. And the point of the matter is it transformed our hearts to become different people, to welcome, to love, to fight for children that have not yet been born, elderly, disabled, forgotten, people that are just no longer cared for because they are not pulling their weight in a culture that is all about production. Production. That this is what Christians have always done. And to the degree that we embrace the call that God has upon our lives through the gospel. We will become transformed people. To the degree that we dismiss it or remove ourselves from it. We will be those type of people that will then hunt for an identity. And our identity will be found somewhere by either being the cold calculated uncaring, critical person of anybody that is not like us or we will become the social justice warrior that is not like Jesus that's constantly criticizing, attacking, hating other people that bear the image of God all in the name of justice. At the end of the day, neither of those extremes look like discipleship to Jesus. My invitation to all of us here is to rethink what it looks like to really truly be a follower of Jesus. I realize I may have horribly offended all of you (laughs) but my hope is that at the end of the day our lives our hearts would come to life for the love of god that has been put on display and that we would trust this jesus who gave himself for us that we would be the type of people that would give our lives away for others that we would go to those places that are sometimes painful and uncomfortable and hard, not with condescension, not with anger, not with hatred or disdain towards other people, with, but with an open, humble heart, inviting God's kingdom to come. So what I want to do right now is I want to finish as we close. We're going to actually partake of communion together. This will be the first time in a long time. And again, there's been challenges with regard to that. So as we all stand, which how about we all do that right now, I'm going to invite you to do with me a practice, and as they are going to be handing out the little, the little cup. It's weird. Like I'll, I'll be straight up and just be honest with you. Like <laughs> this is not my favorite way of doing communion, but COVID. And I'll just cast everything in COVID. It's this little cup, and on top there's a wafer. All right, there's a wafer. So if you get this little cup, you're like, where's the bread? The bread is on top. All right, it's the straight up. It's yeah. I'm not going to say anything more about it. But you will get it in your hand if you would like to partake communion with us. Please feel free to. Uh, uh, raise your hand and have someone, they'll, they'll give it to you. Don't put your hand in there, uh, they'll give it to you. If you don't want to take communion, that's totally fine as well. But there's an invitation if you'd like to uh, do that as well. But as we wrap this up, the team will play a little bit. But what I want to do is I want to invite you into just a moment of confession. This is a practice I'm going to do weekly as we confess anything in our lives. Now, again, for some of us, it might be confessing, confessing our cold, our indifference, our uh, unwillingness to want to learn and grow. Uh, For others of us, it might just be confessing uh, even ways in which we've been part of hurting other people, causing alienation to other people, not welcoming other people. These might be sins of commission, meaning things that you've done, or sins of omission, things that you have, have not done that you know you should have done. But at the end of the day, we are not trying to be transformed into a political ideology. We want to become like the one who loved us. Who, bears, who we bear his image. So just quiet your heart. Close your eyes if you'd like. And just in this moment, ask God to show you anything in your heart that may need to be confessed before him. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Maybe your heart has been far from God. Maybe what you need to do is just confess to God your cold indifference to him. And ask him to wash you, to cleanse you, to give you a new heart, a new vision, a new image, an understanding of who Jesus is and how much he loves you. So whatever it is, again, you, you ask God. This is a moment between you and God to just quietly confess all of this before him. Jesus, right now, we thank you that you are the embodiment of love. You love us. You don't guilt us. You don't shame us. You don't cancel us. You love us. No matter how egregiously we have sinned or erred or distorted your image, you love us. That love that we cannot run from, that seeks us out, is here right now. And if in your heart right now you confess, whatever it is, wherever you're at, that you've confessed those sins before God. I want to declare to you as a pastor, as a herald, as a minister of the gospel, you have been forgiven. Receive that forgiveness. We're going to sing a song. And as soon as we're done with that, we'll all partake of community together. So if we need to go off live, then we can go off live Bye to our online community. Uh, let's sing. Let's respond to Jesus, and we'll partake of communion together. We'll wrap it up.